0: You are listening to Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7 FM LP and streaming live at radiofreenashville.org. Uh what, welcome to the Veterans for Peace radio hour.
1: We get some some dirty looks, but seriously, if you're not a veteran for peace, what are you a veteran for? Uh, hopefully not war. So it shouldn't be controversial, we're veterans for peace. There's 58,000 names on the wall, 58,307. If it included all the Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Laotians, the wall would be five miles long. But you know, for some veterans it's very difficult to admit that it was a mistake, that it was all a lie. They lost friends that they were very close to, and they just cannot bear to come to the reality that those people died in vain it's just too too hard for many many people a few profit many pay as smidley butler said you know war's a racket that's all it is it's all it's ever going to be
0: really so maybe the calendar doesn't say it but yes this is our memorial day show tom
2: is Tom Gross, and I am joined through Zoom by Harvey Bennett and Jim Vogelmuth, and we are members of Veterans for Peace, which is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace by using our experiences and lifting our voices for the causes of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Our network is composed of over 140 chapters worldwide. Our radio show is on stations across the country. We are now meeting through Zoom, so if you would like to be part of our next meeting, it will be the second Tuesday of the month. So please join us. Remember, you can get a copy of the show by just going to our Facebook page. Just search Veterans for Peace Chapter 89 Or please follow us on Twitter, VFP Radio Nashville, and at VFP89 Radio. And to find any of our shows from the past, just go to vit.ly/slash Capital V Capital F Capital P Radio Hour. Also, if you are a station online or on the air and would like to send to send you our show, just text your email to 703-403-6135. If you have a question for us while on the air or an idea for another show, send us also a text at 703-403-6135. We will try to get to your questions while on the air. If you are one of our nationwide affiliates, Just text us and we will get to your question or suggestion next show. Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org.
0: Happenings. Okay, we're on the Thursday after what the calendar said was Memorial Day, even though the 30th is coming up. So I suspect we were all, um, well, not all of us, but hunkering down and uh, trying to put Memorial Day into some perspective as uh, the, the virus uh, continues to take its toll. And this show is going to be uh, kind of a mix and match of uh, Memorial Day in the time of COVID and also Memorial Day in the time of endless war and remembering what that's all about. So, despite the guidance from the administration and from many of the governors, uh, I hope you're just staying safe and finding a Zoom event to go to. So here's the show. Memorial Day coming up. Now, the holiday is on Monday, but traditionally Memorial Day is the 30th. And so that is still, uh, since we're all traditionalists.
3: It, before it was a federal holiday, it was on the 30th. And I think in the 70s, then they make it? Uh, the yeah, 71
0: the, the or 70, Monday? yeah. yeah. I know I was in the Navy and I was overseas. So mm-hmm. when they did that, and I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> so.
3: Well, the, the other thing I remember about it was the, the red poppies over here. And I guess they had white poppies overseas.
0: They, they would have had poppies in Europe for sure. They didn't have yeah. poppies where I was.
3: They had. Uh, I remember going downtown in Chicago with my grandmother and they, you know, mm-hmm. give you a poppy and you could donate and they were red.
0: Yeah. And of course that's when it was tied to world war one also. Yeah, exactly.
3: Well, it well, goes back to the civil, civil war. Civil war, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah.
4: But the poppies, I think of that more as uh armistice day. Right.
3: Yeah. But, uh, I think maybe the poppy thing is just more
0: European on a certain level. Mm. That's right. This is Memorial Day, not Armistice Day.
4: They have a lot of poppies in Afghanistan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> more more now than they did before. <laughs> right. Yeah. No so, doubt about it. So, I was thinking we've got a variety of clips from previous shows that we can um use to remember the purpose of Memorial Day, but do we want to comment on Memorial Day based on our recent experience with with COVID and the? Uh, well,
3: by the time the show airs, we're going to have a hundred thousand dead souls. Right. That's yeah. what I
0: mean. Why, why yeah. not? Why not remember? Because we have declared war on the p- pandemic, and the pandemic so far is winning. So, <clears throat> so wow. we're
3: basically having a nine one one. Almost every day. Right. Yeah. yeah.
4: So well, maybe someday there'll be a Memorial Day for for uh COVID nineteen. Yeah. Victims of COVID nineteen. The the uh frontline workers, essential workers. Yeah. yeah.
3: Died. Uh I Warren sent me this thing this week about how many healthcare workers are being laid off. Mm-hmm yeah I think I think it said seventy two thousand across the United States yeah part of it is that uh you know because of the way the system's structured, these healthcare workers that are deeply embedded in the ICU thing they're they're in short supply but because they don't have elective procedures and diagnostics and yeah. daily checkups they're, mm. the, the hospitals are bleeding.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's an indictment of the system. Oh yeah, we, absolutely. We've got, we've got this. this you know, here's
3: the here's the problem. It's life and death, and it's run like a corporation.
0: Yeah. Right. Yep. So, how do we tie that into Memorial Day?
3: I I guess I would say that we should be remembering not just how many people died, but the fact that. You know, these are American treasures that are Mm -hmm. gone. You know, and how the other thing about it, it reminds me of war, what we're going through now, because there's this whole thing of have you actually had to have been able to have a, a memorial for your family member that's gone?
4: They haven't even been able to have funerals in New York.
3: Right. Uh, your loved one dies in some god awful place for yeah. no reason and then the, the coffin gets shipped back here. Uh, I you know I was on I was on uh, uh funeral detail when I was back in the States in nineteen sixty eight. And I have to say I uh, I respected the people who, who wouldn't uh accept the military funeral. Or or they would say, no, I don't want the flag.
0: Right. You mm-hmm. know, because
3: that's part of the ceremony. You roll up the yeah. flag and yeah. <laughs> give it to the person who is missing their loved one. Yeah.
0: So, well,
4: I mean, that just really, and the problem with this, all these Memorial Day observances is they're just so, I don't know, uh, bloodless or something. They're just, there's no feeling there. You know, mm-hmm. it's
3: all sort of formality. It's know. about bunting and patriotism, yeah, and yeah, right, yeah. And, and the then, other part of it is, of course, it's it's muted now with the quarantine, but right. The, you know the the big thing that these days Memorial Day is let's have a sale, go oh, shopping.
4: Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. And <laughs> and the beach, they have to make sure they're not too crowded on the beach. That's right.
3: Yeah, I saw a video today of. Uh, an island beach in Georgia, and they were just packed together. Uh huh. No mass. <clears throat> we
4: no. should have a video of uh, the the uh, troops landing at D-Day. Say, here's what here's what the beach looks like to bet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the ones who died. Yeah, that, that would sober things <laughs> up. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, and uh, and you just wonder how many survivors of D-Day would never go back to the beach i know yeah.
4: right yeah,
0: yeah it triggered <clears throat> yeah yeah memorial day and covid uh what what should we do different i uh, you know
3: uh don't you think there's a a, a connection in terms of uh, that that we have deaths that are starting to become just numbers oh yeah just like yeah, yeah Where you just announced the fatalities and uh i think that's one of the sad parts about you know the vietnam era in particular mm-hmm. where life suddenly didn't have its meaning and sanctity and i think that's part of what's happening in this quarantine we're, we're
4: back on body count mode
3: yeah <clears throat> <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a sad commentary on I guess the crazy relentless drive to make it about economics.
0: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you can remember the first week or two of the pandemic where uh, a lot of people that had died were profiled, like this healthcare yeah. worker or John prime or uh, you know a, a number of people in the um, artistic community um, yeah. uh, or just people just people uh, and they were they were profiled and now we have such numbers and such numbers each day yeah that even though we're opening up um such numbers each day that it's it's, it's too much to prove well you
4: know I think if you if you look at the way this has been handled <clears throat> um, it shows that um it just shows how we we have lost our our bearings, you know what's the most important thing. And it's you know it's not Protecting people anymore. It's getting, getting the, <clears throat> the you know the commerce, moving again.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and how do you how do you come up with that perspective? Yeah. I, I I I just don't get it. And I was reading this article that uh, and I think I mentioned it to you guys last time or whatever, that. <clears throat> um these white supremacists that are advocating for opening up everything, yeah. they started doing that as soon as the reports came out with regard to the demographics of the people dying and that they found out that it was primarily people of color who were being so sub- victimized by the pandemic. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, race racism throws shows its head the crowds do look awfully white they do look awfully white so i that's uh, because the people that are going to be affected
4: by opening up are the ones who are going to have to work yeah these people are the, the other thing is <clears throat> i mean on the other hand i can understand really how people are in are furious because the government has mandated that they not work that the government has not done their part of the you know met them halfway with a a paycheck Paycheck preservation program like all these other countries have done
0: that's right that's right i mean it would have been so easy to just have a paycheck protection, keep yeah. people on the rolls of yeah. wherever they're We're working. Connected to their jobs. No, no unemployment compensation they because... keep their insurance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would have been so simple and I think mm-hmm. so much easier to manage. Oh yeah. It puts such a burden on the state unemployment. Oh, which, is a,
4: which is, you know, pathetic, even in normal circumstances.
0: Sure. Sure. And mm-hmm. we're so numbed. And, and with COVID and people in isolation,
4: mm-hmm.
0: I think that uh, Memorial Day is even going to get less this year. Or maybe just the fact that people <coughs> are inside, you know, maybe they'll have a chance to reflect I rather was than thinking about, cook hot dogs. Know, right.
4: I was thinking about so many things that, you know, don't really uh, come through on the uh, cable channels network channels and all that uh like <clears throat> uh the people who talk about you know they have people come in come on talking about you know um what to do while you're sheltering in place and they have yeah. all these games you can play and all that shit <laughs>
3: I mean, yeah
4: talk to some people who are really going through <laughs>
3: yeah well talk you know
4: <clears throat> and I they don't know they anybody be, who's doing that
3: well, That's I, the thing. Nah, well i wish they would start doing interviews with these people that are working in these processing plants where they they, they won't even test them now in some of the states or uh, they they, uh, protest outside the facility and then they get laid off.
4: Yeah. It used to really make me angry that Vanderbilt uh, had classes on Labor Day and they had classes on Memorial Day.
3: Wow,
4: and I just thought, well, that you know, if you look at the Vanderbilt board of trust, probably not very many of them lost family member in the war, and and many of them worked for wages either. No, that's right. No, and
3: uh, not too many draftees in those families. Right. Yeah, Yeah.
4: but it's just, how can they be so totally? blind (laughs) to how horrible that
0: is you know and, and but i think covid has pointed out why can they be so blind and i think just the reaction from the white people with regard to covid that this is part of their privilege to be blind to the sacrifice of either the poor or the people of color or the people that went off to war or the people that are on the front line they don't have to deal. And so they don't have to respond and they don't have to respect and they don't even have to recognize mm-hmm. anything other than the inconvenience mm-hmm. that, yeah. that they're being yeah. faced with. All right. And it just, yeah. it's just, it, it's, it's sickening. And I, you know, uh, as much <laughs> as you'd like to see the United States continue, maybe it just needs a big shakeup well Well, i I don't want it to continue the way it is no
4: (laughs) i don't think it can i don't think it's sustainable
0: no no so all right i'd like to
3: think that people are at least in their quarantine they are reflecting on what their life is about and and what place does government have in Fulfilling the constitutional responsibilities.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and and what would you hope that they would be getting out of that, Tom?
3: Well, I, I I would hope first of all they would realize how precious their citizenship is, and they would certainly vote this fall. And uh, if for some reason their vote is suppressed, they. They certainly write to people and, you know, refuse to have voter suppression go on. Uh,
4: I think a lot of them aren't going to vote because uh, a lot of them feel like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter which one I vote for. My life doesn't change. It doesn't get any better. And the people who are running and what they're saying shows that they have no respect or
3: concern about me. The thing is, though, that you can't exactly say that it's all the same. I mean, I hear this from my Marxist friends. That, yeah. Well, no. every party is corrupted now by money and yeah. lobbying. Right. And dust no, I now, agree. Right?
4: I mean, certainly people but who But this is a on...
3: magnitude order of change right now. Yeah. It right. is not survivable.
4: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's Roy Scranton when you need him? so So, memorial day in the midst of covid what are we going to do about it well here's the vfw from the vfw and you you consider the vfw something along the patriotic patriotic um line where okay the vfw is going to be all over hot dogs and waving flags and and this stuff but they They put out a statement, and I'll just read just a little bit of it. It's a sacred day to all war veterans. None need to be reminded of the reason that Memorial Day must be commemorated. But what about the general public and, more important, future generations? Do most non-veterans really recognize the importance of a day to honor fellow Americans killed in war to remember them, judging from what Memorial Day has become, simply another day off of work, the answer is a resounding no. Perhaps a reminder is due, and it's the duty of each and every veteran to relay the message. Sacrifice is meaningless, without remembrance. America's collective conscience demands that all citizens recall and be aware of the deaths of their fellow countrymen during wartime. You know, I I I'm glad I didn't see it happen too much, but I did see it happen a little bit. People as they were getting ready for Memorial Day, putting up flags, yep. putting up bunting. You know, it's a it's it's a celebration. Um and where, to me, if you're actually gonna honor Memorial Day, I don't know what you would do, but you wouldn't, set, wouldn't put up a flag. I don't, what, would you, what would you think? Well, w- and would you celebrate? Yeah. I I'll, mean, if you go visit the grave of
4: <clears throat> a parent or a grandparent or a child mm-hmm. or some other loved one that died, do you bring drums and, and uh, Kazoos. bunting and, and yeah. turn it into a celebration? No, it's a solemn time. Yeah. It's a time to understand the depth of the loss that is entailed when we
0: go to war. Exactly. Exactly. Here's Harvey reading a poem by Doug Rawlings. And this called-
4: is The Wall by Doug Rawlings, Veterans for Peace co-founder. Descending into this declivity dug into our nation's capital by the cloven hoof of yet another one of our country's tropical wars, slipping past the names of those whose wounds refuse to heal, slipping past the panel where my name would have been, could have been, perhaps should have been down to the wall's greatest depth, where the beginning meets the end. I kneel, staring through my own reflection, beyond the names of those who died so young, knowing now that the wall has finally found me. 58,000 yard stairs have fixed on me as if I were their pole star, as if I could guide their mute testimony back into the world, as if, I, as if I could connect all those dots in the nighttime sky, as if I could tell them the reason why.
3: That's amazing. And, and that's you, know, thing. It, you know, I've been to the wall, not a lot, but a few times. I used to walk around in D.C in the 60s because I was stationed in Fort Meade that was before the wall was there and uh when I finally saw it it is that kind of a thing for you he he put it in such elegant words Mm -hmm. it's just it's breathtaking
5: yeah dear Bill I came to this black wall again, to see and touch your name, William R. Stocks. And as I do, I wonder if anyone ever stops to realize that next to your name on this black wall is your mother's heart. A heart broken 15 years ago today when you lost your life in Vietnam. And as I look at your name, I think of how many, many times I used to wonder how scared and homesick you must have been in that strange country called Vietnam. And if and how it might have changed you, for you were the most happy-go-lucky kid in the world, hardly ever sad or unhappy. And until the day I die, I will see you as you laughed at me, even when I was very mad at you. And the next thing I knew, we were laughing together. But on this past New Year's Day, I talked by phone to a friend of yours from Michigan, who spent your last Christmas and the last four months of your life with you. Jim told me how you died, for he was there and saw the helicopter crash. He told me how your jobs were like sitting ducks. They would send you men out to draw the enemy into the open, and then they would send in the big guns and planes to take over. He told me how after a while over there, instead of a yellow streak, the men got a mean streak down their backs. Each day the streak got bigger, and the men became meaner. Everyone but you, Bill. He said how you stayed the same happy-go-lucky guy that you were when you arrived in Vietnam. And he said how you of all people should never have been the one to die. How lucky you were to have him for a friend. And how lucky he was to have had you. They tell me the letters I write to you and leave here at this memorial are waking others up to the fact that there is still much pain left from the Vietnam War. But this I know. I would rather to have had you for 21 years and all the pain that goes with losing you than never to have had you at all.
0: So, if you if you can if you need a Kleenex mm-hmm. or a, the tissue after that, yeah, and that's you know, actually on YouTube. That's on YouTube. Is this the the woman herself? Yeah, it's uh, not a dramatization. It's not a dramatization. Goodness gracious! Yeah, oh. I know. It's it's. <coughs> I'll it's, skip that one. I know. Uh, it is such a better memorial than the um uh, the World War ii memorial which is at the you know down down constitution on the mall a little bit closer those are more
3: monuments than they are memorials they right.
0: absolutely are yeah they absolutely are
4: right they're enshrining the 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 cause that was fought for
0: yeah uh, not, to make not, the
3: connection i believe it was the new york times today that published all the names of the people who died in the pandemic in the u.s wow okay i I guess it was an entire page maybe it was more than a page
0: wow so they so that is good so they published all the names of the people who have died in our most recent war on the virus yeah so so now we're going to hear some stories some old some new And Harvey talked about uh, Letters to the Wall, and that is a project uh, coordinated by Doug Rawlings uh, of Veterans for Peace, who's also coordinating the full disclosure program. Uh, The Department of Defense is actually commemorating the 50th anniversary of Vietnam, and there's a website, and veterans Veterans for Peace just wants to make sure that there's full disclosure. There is no whitewashing. Well, Doug is uh the one who coordinated that uh letter writing to the wall and he's put together a book uh that we mentioned so we want to read a couple of those letters to the wall and if you want a copy of this book called letters to the wall and they are a great asset to any middle school library hint go to lulu l-u-l-u Dot com and order one or more. So, Harvey now is going to read a letter from a Peggy Akers who grew up in America.
4: Dear America, remember me? I was the girl next door. Remember when I was 13, America, and rode on top of the fire engine in the Memorial Day Parade? I'd won an essay contest on what it meant to be a proud American. And it was always me, America, the cheerleader, the Girl Scout, who marched in front of the high school band, carrying our flag, the tallest, the proudest. And remember, America, you gave me the Daughters of the American Revolution Good Citizen Award for patriotism, and I was only 16. And then you sent me to war, America, along with thousands of other Men and women who loved you. It's Memorial Day, America. Do you hear the flags snapping in the wind? There's a big sale at Macy's, and there's a big parade in Washington for the veterans. But it's not the American flag or the sound of drums I hear. I hear a helicopter coming in. I smell the burning of human flesh. It's Thomas, America, the young black kid from Atlanta. My patient, burned by an exploding gas tank. "'I remember how his courage kept him alive that day, America, "'and I clung to his only finger "'and whispered over and over again "'how proud you were of him, America, and he died. "'And Pham, he was only eight, America, "'and you sprayed him with napalm, "'and his skin fell off in my hands, "'and he screamed as I tried to comfort him. "'And, America, what did you do with Robbie, "'the young kid I sat next to on the plane to Vietnam?' His friends told me a piece of shrapnel ripped through his young heart. He was only 17. It was his first time away from home. What did you tell his mother and father, America? Hold us, America. Hold all your children, America. Alan will never hold anyone again. He left both his arms and legs back there. He left them for you, America. America, you never told me that I'd have to put so many of your sons... The boys next door in body bags. You never told me. This is Peggy Akers, who served as a nurse in
0: Vietnam. You never told me. Here's part of another letter. This one is from Marion Malcolm. And she's talking about her friend, Ron Phillips. This is called So Many of You to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall so many of you whose names are on this wall were young, so very young, when you went off to war. My friend, Ron Phillips, was a combat Marine in Vietnam, 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines. He didn't die there, but came home wounded in body and spirit. After Ron returned, he applied for a position in the, in the Waco, Texas Police Department, and was told he was too young to be a policeman because he was too young to carry a gun. Too young to carry a gun in Texas, but not in Vietnam. Ron died of heart disease 20 years ago at age 40 to 45. He had finally been granted his PTSD claim after seven years of appeals to the VA. Before he died, he used the years of his life and the pain of his experiences in Vietnam to reach young people to tell them that service in the military is not the grand adventure portrayed by military recruiters. Amen to that. It, It wasn't easy talking to students required Ron to remember the pain he had buried while he was in Vietnam. Once he told me about retrieving the weapon and going through the belongings of a dead Vietnamese soldier, he may have been the one who killed him. He wasn't sure. He hadn't been the only one firing. In the dead man's clothing, he found his wallet and in it a picture of the man's wife and child. For a moment, Ron felt the full humanity of the man, the horror of his death, the sorrow his family would know, but only for a moment. Then he had to shut those feelings down, deep down. Marines are not supposed to cry. And he would have to fight again. It would be years and many hours of therapy before Ron could confront his experiences. And it took writing a lot of poetry. When Ron went into high school classes, he read his poetry, and the poetry of other veterans. He talked about the war. One teacher always asked her students to write their responses when the class next met, and she shared those with Ron. A young man wrote, thank you for helping me understand my father. He fought in Vietnam, but he doesn't talk about the war. He doesn't talk much at all. Ron also coordinated the Alternatives to Militarism project. He wrote and designed and distributed leaflets, showed films and organized anti-war events. He had a chance to make a difference, and he used that chance, even though it meant reliving the dehumanization and horror of his own experiences as a Marine. You whose names are on this wall died in Indochina, and so you never got a chance to mature, to make a difference as adult members of society. Our country has never been enriched by all the talents you might have brought to us. Our society has never benefited from all the work you might have done. We have been deprived of your stories, your music, your smiles, your laughter, your tears, and your wisdom. Your loved ones never had the chance to watch as you toss the ball back and forth with your kids, your children, those you left behind, or those you never had. Didn't have a chance to see you bounce your grandchildren on your knee. You likely would have had grandchildren by now. There is simply no way to measure the loss to your comrades in arms, to your friends, your family, and to all your fellow citizens. I wish I could believe that you died in a righteous cause. I do not. The only way we can bring meaning to your deaths is to remember you and to strengthen your resolve to work against war, as an instrument of foreign policy. And truth to tell, there ought to be another wall, a wall bearing the names of those who came home from Vietnam, but ultimately didn't survive the war. That wall would need to contain an even greater number of names to include all of those who committed suicide or because of the drugs or alcohol or depression or reckless driving died as a result of- We'll leave it there. That was Marion Malcolm. That was a portion of her letter. And she goes on and talks about another friend and how he was damaged by the war. It's
3: all uh, incalculable, the cost of war. You, you can't get your, your head around all of the unintended consequences and the human carnage. And like I say, uh, you said, life, lives that are disrupted permanently.
0: Now, Harvey found an article in the Washington Post about David Cabrera, and here's that story.
4: The story of uh, David Cabrera, who was a lieutenant colonel, social worker, army, who had uh, deployed, he he believed in really... uh, in order to serve the troops, he had to be with them. He didn't have to go, he didn't have to deploy. He, You know, his job was uh, the Army base in Texas, you know. <clears throat> but uh, he had deployed before and wanted to deploy again, and at this time he had two kids. And so he, uh, he presented it to his wife and said, uh, you know, I really feel like, I should go, but I'm not going to go if you tell me not to." Uh, he asked his wife, and, uh, and uh, she said uh, on one stipulation, if the worst happened, she didn't want to see the soldiers in dress uniforms alone on her driveway. <clears throat> yeah. She wanted to see a friend first. So her friend uh, Jackie <clears throat> um, agreed to do that. Um, so uh, <clears throat> they called her. She was listed as the one to call, so the army called her, not calling his wife to tell her. And uh, <clears throat> they hadn't made a file, final identification, so uh, she got a, a text from from uh, David's wife, who said she'd woken up the night before had a terrible dream. And the six-year-old had had a nightmare about a fire and she was afraid something had happened. And uh, later that day, she stumbled on a story online about a NATO convoy that had been hit near Kabul. And Jackie, uh, the superiors told her not to tell uh, the wife yet because it wasn't confirmed, but she called them back and said, listen, wife, her name is August, is not stupid. She's going to find out. And so uh, they let her go ahead and tell her uh, uh, as of 6 a.m. So, um, uh, you know, it was a terrible thing. And Jackie says, how is I going going to the door and the next day and be her friend and still be Master Sergeant? How can I be all these people? She, she didn't think she could keep her composure if she talked to August. Uh, so at the time, she just texted her back and said, not to worry. And uh, knowing that she was gonna be contacting her again in a few hours. <clears throat> so <clears throat> and it describes how this happens. And this, every time you see these numbers, <clears throat> you have to understand a variation of this happens. 58,000 times. Right. Yeah. Not always the wife, sometimes the mother, you know, the parent. They, you know, the next day was Sunday, so Jackie knew August would head to church in the morning. <clears throat> so they prepared to notify her when she returned. Jackie and her husband, Richard, uh, met the casual notification officers and chaplain nearby Dunkin' Donuts. Before Dave had left for Iraq, both he and August had been insistent if he were killed they would need to shield the boys the two boys i think they were six and nine <clears throat> from august's reaction to the news they didn't want the children to be there when she was told which uh you know I, it's not something i would think about
0: right <clears throat>
4: but they, you know this was something they they had the foresight to say they don't want that uh, And uh, Jackie's wife, Jackie's husband Rich, they was very close to the kids. They called him Uncle Rich. So he said he would find the kids first and make sure they were out of the house when it happened. Uh, So they drove to the Cabrera's home, uh, but uh, the wife wasn't there. Uh, But an official government sedan idling in a residential neighborhood is impossible to camouflage. So they retreated. Eventually, August texted that she had made a detour to Farmers Market, and then she was back home. She was raking leaves while talking on the phone when she saw Jackie with the men following. She dropped the phone. Jackie caught her as she collapsed, and the new widow sat in the grass, hyperventilating, her eyes unfocused. She's slipping away, Jackie thought. You need to stay with me, she said, and asked where the boys were. August motioned to the backyard where they were playing ball with <coughs> uh, August's father, their grandfather. <coughs> Richard ran to the back to scoop them up, take them to a friend's house. Is he hurt or is he dead, August asked. Hurt, I can fix. Just tell me, just tell me. And they told her she needed to go inside. Just tell me, she shouted. They didn't want her reaction to be in public where people might see it. The casualty officer looked at Jackie who nodded and she began. he began the speech. The secretary of the army regrets to inform you. Don't tell me what the secretary of the army thinks, August shouted. He didn't know my husband. August stood and screamed a single word. No, but I'm sure it was a lot louder than that. And longer. <clears throat> they had known each other for 10 years and 10 days. Until the end, uh, they seemed smitten, embarrassing friends with their public affection. They married for the first time, eloped really at the Ritz Carlton in Tyson's Corner in 2002. <laughs> they married again along a stream in Maryland, and they would renew their vows two more times. Photos of his two children from a previous marriage who lived with their mother Angela in Texas. Corbin, 14, Gillian, 13, spent half of each summer with David in August. I told him I wouldn't marry him until I could love his kids like my own. When people ask me how many kids I have, I say four. Before volunteering for Afghanistan, David knew he would have to ask August. His passion was helping soldiers, and he knew he could help. And deep down, he needed to go, and I knew that still trying to convince herself. He didn't have to go. I think that's what kills me. He asked my permission and I know he needed it. And I said, yes. She looked at her, uh, pulled out her phone and pointed to a text message. You are my world, be strong and keep our kids safe. That was his last message to her. she sat the children on her bed and told them that there had been a terrible accident and their father wasn't coming home. Ronan screamed, no, Max just sobbed. They say little kids don't know. They know. They understood. They had a memorial service at the church. And then there's a funeral at uh, at, uh, Arlington National Cemetery. It's also a a funeral first uh, outside Houston on Veterans Day. Um, But they tried to uh, think about what to put on his tombstone. And uh, he was very proud of having gotten a PhD. And I think he uh, had said something one time that he wanted that on his tombstone because he'd worked so hard for it. (laughs) But uh, she talked to the kids about it. And uh, I think it was the uh, six-year-old who just said, you know, what should we call him? Should we call him a lieutenant colonel? We should, and uh, she just said, uh, just call him a soldier of kindness. So that kind of summed up how they saw their dad yeah. and, and it summed up what, his, what he was there for. Yeah. He was there to be a, a kind presence of kindness with these troops. This was written by Jim Sheeler, a journalism professor at Case Western Reserve. And uh, they have named the uh, medical clinic at the base after David Cabrera. That's one story. That's 50, Uh, you know, uh, there's
0: how many thousands more stories. That's right. There's 6,000 coming uh, out of Iraq and Afghanistan. At least six. Um, And every one of them is,
4: you know, so tragic and and heartbreaking in its own way.
0: Right.
4: Yeah. How do you get that across on Memorial Day with all the flags waving and all that? Yeah. yeah. It's almost a disservice. Yeah. To that you can, you know, have one day to remember the sacrifices of all these people and not, it's not just the the dead, you know, it's the living that are living, that live on with these uh, uh, horrendous emotional traumas that they never fully recover from,
0: never. No, no. I mean, and and when you're saying traumas, it's not just the the PTSD or the brain injury, but, you know, the moral injury. um, I mean, anybody who's been Mm -hmm. in the military and I think probably at this point, with COVID, I'd say many of the frontline nurses who are right in the midst and right in the, um, the taking care of those COVID patients and doing all they can, only to end up with a cough and a sore throat. Yeah. I mean,
3: it's like being in a triage center for two
0: months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Um, Oh, Harvey, I wanted to ask, when did Cabrera actually get killed?
4: Uh, I think it was in 2011.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's
4: recent. It is.
0: You know, fairly recent. And there's been deaths since then. There's been memorials since then. There's been people in dress, dress. There's been
4: nine more years of that war since then.
0: Yes. And just on and on. And this is what memorial... They should be about understanding the futility of what the heck is going on yeah
4: I mean let's talk about how can we honor the dead if we refuse to stop doing what we've been doing that produced all these dead people yeah for no for what reason for to you know what is what has been accomplished besides a lot of horrendous
0: human suffering uh, There's been a whole bunch of people that made a whole lot of money. Well, Harvey and I asked Kathy Bennett, his wife, to read the last letter to the wall. After reading it over, she made Harvey and I leave the room. For this letter shows, this letter shows just how many lives are impacted by one life given to the military.
6: I don't know how to start this letter because I never gave you a specific nickname and it feels inappropriate to call you by your first name. Most of the time I just refer to you as my grandfather. I was told about this letter project today in one of my college classes and I immediately wanted to write to you. I don't really know why. I know you won't answer me. Maybe it's because I feel like when I put these words down on paper you might be able to see them and you might know that I'm writing to you and thinking about you. There are things you should know, but mostly I have a lot of questions. You should know that Nanny, your wife Helen, stands up every Thanksgiving and thanks you for your sacrifice. Sometimes she cries. Everyone is always trying to hold in their tears anyway. Fifty-two years have passed since you died, but you haven't been forgotten. I grew up knowing about you and learning about you. I've been told about all the brave and unusual things that you did. The gong that was given to Nanny in memory of you hangs up in our living room. It's been in the background of every prom and family picture. I guess that means that you've been in the pictures too in a way. Your children have been interested in you, especially Mom. She found William Edge, and she talked to him for a few years before he died. After the war, he was a pastor somewhere out west. Isn't it crazy that time brought this man to you, and then when you saved him, You gave him time so that he could be brought to us. We have pictures that you had from Vietnam and Cambodia, you riding an elephant and holding an enormous snake. Did you ever imagine that the pictures you took would be the only way that your grandchildren would see you alive? I've read some letters you sent to Nanny, the monkey who lived with you and how you shot off its tail. I've asked her about the time she spent in Okinawa, Her body might be failing, but her brain still remembers. Did you ever think that someday your memories and stories would be the only way that your children and grandchildren would know you? I think you would be proud of your family for carrying on your story. I know that they are proud of you. I'm proud of you. Sometimes I find myself wondering what life would have been like if you hadn't died in Cambodia. Would Uncle Bob have spent all that time in prison? Would Uncle Steve be able to keep a job or a wife? Would Uncle Andy still self-medicate? How would Aunt Kathy be different if she had ever had the chance to meet you? How would my mom be different if she wasn't constantly trying to piece together a father she can't remember? Would I even be alive today if you had lived? Would you have taught your grandsons to love the outdoors, fishing, and hunting like you did? Would you have come to our football, field hockey, and soccer games? Would you have sat me on your lap and read me stories? Would you look like the picture that's on my wall since I can remember? Would you smell like aftershave or soap? What would your voice sound like when you told me that you loved me? I wonder if you thought that it was worth it in the end. Did you wholeheartedly believe in your mission and purpose for being there? Did you regret being there in your last moments? Did you regret anything in your last moments? I wonder what your last thoughts were. Did you think about your mom and dad, your wife, your four small children, your unborn baby? Was there anything that you wanted to say? Was there anyone there to say it to? Could you have spoken with a bullet in your neck? Did the person who killed you see your face? Did they even think for a second before they pulled the trigger about the hole they would be blasting through the lives of the people that you knew and loved? Could they have fathomed that your death would shatter a family for two generations? Did you ever think about that? I know it wasn't your intention to end up on a wall. I don't think it was anyone's intention. My mom always says that there's a reason for everything. I think there's some things that you can't find reasons for. Love your granddaughter, Lindsay. It's
0: so sad. That was Kathy Bennett, Harvey's wife. So as we leave you today, as you approach and prepare for another Memorial Day, again, I ask you to stop for a moment and think of the millions of Rickies and Amods, and Wens and whoever else, whether they were civilian or military, whether they were American or the so-called enemy. And can we just try and find a way to stop?
7: Where have all the flowers gone? Long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. Where have all the flowers gone? Girls pick them every one When will they ever learn? When will they ever